What's new listeners? I'm Hunter Howell, host of Two Cents Critic. If you want to move to our reviews of books, movies, and TV shows, then join in. Today, we're coming up to the final part of the reflection this show has been doing on 2022, because first we were doing TV shows, and then movies, and now we're coming up to the books, the top 10 books of 2022. And joining me for that discussion is Logan, who's already been on the show before. We were covering Soul Love and Thunder, and now they're coming back to do the top 10 books. Say hi, Logan. Hey, everyone. Yay. And I want to thank you for coming for coming back here for the whole book discussion. And to start us off, I just want to ask, like, you know, how do you feel about uh, 2022 in terms of, you know, bookishness? Yeah, um, I was really excited about lots of books coming out in 2022. Um, I feel like we're getting lots more queer rep, not just in like rom-com books, but just across all genres of books, which is always really exciting because I love reading books with more queer rep. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I feel like 2022 was also a pretty good year in terms of the, like, book. I, I feel like both, you know, the books that came out, even like I haven't read them, but I've heard like tons of, you know, love for certain books, especially at Babel. Which is on my TPR pile. I feel like I should have gotten around to that by now, but I've been hearing so much about that, especially on Twitter and the book Twitter space. And but as for the books I've read, I feel like I've, you know I've read some pretty good books as well. Uh, although I will say though, there were some moments, there were some periods in the year where I did run into reading slumps, and that did slow me down. Uh, it was it, it was a bit it was a bit stressful at times, and just like having to try to squeeze in books with other activities, but I was able to make it through the slumps. <laughs> yeah, I definitely hit my own slumps, but was able to power through. Yeah. Now let's just dive into our top 10 books of 2022, so we'll be going from 10 to 1, so we'll be you know, giving on number 10 picks, number 9, number 8, and then so on. And so let's just dive right into this, Logan, what is your number 10 pick? So number 10, I'm cheating a little bit because I didn't read 10 2022 books. So I'm going to do an honorable mention of a book I read this year that lo- I loved, but wasn't a 2022 book. Um, for book club, we read House on the Cerulean Sea by TJ Klune. So that's going to be my number 10 kind of cheater book. But I loved it so much. Everybody should read it. It is genuinely good, though. You know, I I you know love that. I've you know, gone through that twice now, you know, once just for myself and another time for a book club and I've actually even done a whole podcast episode on the book and yeah, it's really it's a, you know, a hot warming snuggly read and it's got the found family trope, it's got, you know Ugh, positive yes. queer up even like, you know, the, and the characters are so, so, so lovable, like, you know, even like, the, you know, Lucy and Linus yes. and Nadia, the whole cast you know, and, and Arthur yeah, and, all the yeah. kids are fantastic I just finished um, re-listening to it. I have it as an Audible book, which I 100% recommend because the reader for the Audible version does the kids' voices so well. It's so cute. Um, so if anybody's looking for a good audiobook, uh, Cerulean Sea is read really well. Yeah, that's good. You know, I'm always looking out for good audiobooks like that. I feel like typically I do absorb books better when, when reading them, but that's not to say that I can't enjoy audiobooks as well. For example, like The Invisible Life of Addie Lou, I feel like that is the most compelling audiobook I've listened to. I feel like the narrator did a really great job of adding some layers to the story purely through, through her voice. 
and just how that's really enjoyable. And speaking of TJ Klune, I actually just got approved to read an arc for the next book, In the Lives of Puppets. Ooh. I'm really excited for that. And, and that's actually a, a rendition of Pinocchio, which is funny because oh, okay. it's funny about the Pinocchio adaptations we've had back in 2022. I'm really excited for, for, to dive in, into that arc. Nice. All right, so that's your number 10 pick, The House and the Cerulean Sea. Yeah. Mine is A Merry Little Meat Cute by Joni Murphy and Sierra Simone, which I had actually covered on the show as well. I did a whole episode on this back in December as a part of the whole Christmas theme month. And this is a Christmas rom-com that takes place on the, on the set of the Christmas movie that's being shot by this Hallmark-esque channel and it revolves around the two stars of the movie. There's, uh, there's one who is a one star, but is hiding, but is hiding her career, and she is starring in the movie alongside her co-star, who she actually used to have a huge crush on because he was he's a, a former boy band member, and now he's trying to revitalize his career, kind of like you know clean it up because he's been kind of like a a, a rogue of sorts, kind of like you know like had a, a bad boy reputation. But now he's trying to clean it all up by, by starring in this, you know, unlike-esque Christmas movie. And, two, and the two of them end up having a secret romance that uh, on set, again, like, you know, it's a secret because, like, they, they should be keeping things professional and not getting into any sort of romantic crap. But nope, they're just diving into it. And it, it was very fun to read and, you know, lighthearted, fluffy. Even though, like, you know, there were a lot of points where I was, like, you know, the being pretty ignorant about their behavior was, like, you, obviously, you're not going to be able to hide this forever. You're on set, and you're being very obviously horny around each other. And as the book progresses, there are, like, people who find out, like, the fans on set who find out. And it's just, like, you know, it's, like, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do this. And, and, and that, that on top of, you know, that on top of B, so he's a porn star, you know, again, just hiding her career, you know, trying to be like, because if he gets found out, you know, everyone will be shaming her for it and be like, oh, you're tainting, you know, the movie with your, with your profession. And so, you know, secrets upon secrets. But I can't, I'm willing to overlook that because, you know, it is like a Christmas rom-com sort of thing where it's like, oh, you know, I can understand people, people being oblivious, you know, to drive the plot forward and maintain the the atmosphere. I also I also really appreciated the, the queer rap as well. It was, it, it, it was surprisingly like a, a strongly queer cast with both of the main characters being by a man and a woman. And then a lot a lot of the people around them, like their friends and, and stuff, were also uh, were also part of the queer community. So I was really glad to see that. And I think it also does make sense when you realize that both of the authors who wrote the book also by, so I think that also makes sense. Like you guys are queer authors writing the queer novel, so that's also much appreciated. No, yeah, that's been on my. It was on my TBR. I had a lot of Christmas books I wanted to get through. I ended up getting through like three Christmas books, but um, yeah, it'll stay on there until next December. <laughs> I'll pick it up, <laughs> or maybe well, yeah. I'll do a Christmas in July. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I would definitely recommend reading it and just like 
and I will say, and I will say though that Jaws is not perfect. I will say it, it does try to tackle themes, some pretty heavy themes about misogyny and slut shaming and biphobia and phobia and even like health insurance. Even like health insurance was like some fascinating things that it dived into for a bit. And I don't think it's fully successful at actually like unpacking the themes. And more, it's more like it tries to deal with them, but it's like it's more surface level compared to the rest of the book. And again, like, I feel like I'm more lenient towards this because, again, it's, 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 it's a Christmas rom-com and it's, you know, going to be more lighthearted. It's not going to be, like, it's not going to be, oh, like, doing a whole dissection on these themes, you know, but I feel like I'm more forgiving of that. Again, you know, recommended, you know, if you want a good holiday read. And there are actually some other holiday reads, too, like, haven't gotten around to yet, and, you know, don't want to dive into those. You know, who knows, maybe next, maybe next you know, at the end of the year, or earlier, you know, you know, we'll see. So that's my number 10 pick, I'm very little Mood Cute. And now, your number 9. Um, my number 9, this was a book I had a lot of high hopes for, and probably overhyped it, and like, ruined the whole experience for myself. Um, but my number nine's Husband Material by Alexis Hall. Um, I think anyone who knows me at all, or talks to book about books with me at all, knows Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall is my favorite book of all time. And I just way overhyped husband material for myself. Um, and it fell short for me, which like rom-com sequels, it's really hard to do. And the formatting for like me was really awkward. It was like four weddings and a funeral. And it just felt a little forced. Overall, I would still recommend reading the book, maybe just not going in with the expectations I had. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually I actually finished that, I think like just yesterday or day before yesterday. And I was like kind of sitting on my thoughts about it. It's not. It's not. It's not part of my top ten. Uh, I, I was. I've been sitting on my thoughts about it, and you know, it was interesting. Like you know, I wanted to dive back into it and fully love the the relationship. And then it's like, oh no! But then parts of it feel repetitive, and uh, and then like the miscommunication trope does come into play, and not in a way that that feels authentic. It feels relatable. It's kind of like, oh, it feels kind of cringy at certain parts. And the way, there's a whole argument without spoiling it that happens in the book. It's like a thread throughout the book where it's like, wait, you're arguing about this for that long? It kind of feels, it kind of feels honestly kind of like strange that you're arguing about this for so long. And then it ends in, in, a, in, a, in a weird way, in a way that I don't think is very Fitting. I don't know. We're just like, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't really satisfied with this. And it's same. It's the same because no boyfriend material. You know, I love that. Right. Yeah, I'm. I'm wondering. Um, I haven't done much digging into it, but I'm wondering if because boyfriend material was so successful, the author felt the need to put out um a sequel by like, I don't know, maybe like pressure from like audiences saying they want a sequel but like sequels for rom-coms are hard like yeah. once they get together it's like that's it <laughs> like, yeah it's just, it is, yeah it's difficult because you've already got, gotten over the hump of oh how are they gonna get together you know how are they gonna resolve the issues at the beginning of the relationship mm-hmm. and it just you know it's it, it's difficult trying, trying to go for a sequel and you know i can always you know i can give props to the people who try to do that you know but we have the courage to attempt that, but I don't think it was fully successful here. 
Um, no. And I'll recommend Alexis Hall's books until the day I die. Like, they're a fantastic author. This one just didn't hit it for me. Yeah. <sighs> so we got to a number nine pick. And now my number nine is The Paradox Hotel by Rob Hodge. Now this is a sci-fi thriller. It revolves around this, uh, around an establishment called, you know, obviously The Paradox Hotel. It's basically this elite hotel where rich tourists can take flights to the past. And the, in the U.S., and there's this whole thing where the U.S. is actually planning to privatize this technology. And, it's a, and the story follows uh, January Cole, who is the head of security at the Paradox Hotel. And there are some strange things that are happening. For example, there's a body in one of the hotel rooms. However, the body, the body is only visible to January. She's also dealing with an ailment where it's like what's called her being unstuck. And it's kind of like this progressive illness that's kind of like that is messing with her. It kind of like temporarily like displaces her uh, enough so that she can like see flashes of, of her life from the past, present, and future. So she's also dealing with that. And the way, and the way that this uh, book progresses is pretty interesting. It's like it's definitely, it's definitely one of her more memorable sci-fi shows I've read in terms of how it, you know, twists the mechanics around and it goes on this whole mystery. It also deals a lot with the themes of grief and memory. So it reminded me a lot of WandaVision in that way. And which I, which I found to be enjoyable. Uh, I don't think it's, it's not perfect. It's, I, it, it is kind of like, I feel like there were some parts of the plot that were sloppily handled that were kind of had dragged down the overall narrative. There are certain characters I wish could have been fleshed out that, were, that, that came off as badly written. Uh, overall though, this was still, you know, enjoyable for me. I feel like this is, I, it, you know, this was definitely one of the books that stuck most with me throughout the year. And I'm, you know, and I, 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 I would recommend this, you know, to people if they're looking for a good, you know, sci-fi seller. But also can get pretty sad, you know, at the time, pretty hard wrenching. And it also has a it also has pretty good queer rap as well. I would say, like the way it just, you know, normalizes like, you know, the queer rap in the story. And also provides uh, you know, also provides some themes of, you know, taking taking some punches at rich people. You know, as they're visiting this hotel. There's even one portion, there's there's one bit where the viewers that there was like a few guests who were putting, who were doing essentially, who were doing essentially blackface in order to travel back to Egypt. And they're like, oh, let's, you know, let's take on the skin of, you know, the people who live there, basically. And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I feel like that's actually going to be realistic. People would definitely do that if they were to travel back like that. It's like, they would definitely do that. And so, you know, and, and, and then 2022 has been definitely a year for, uh, taking jabs at the wealthy, even like you know, if you look at the movies too, like you know with the grass onion, the menu, triangle of sadness, and other media like that. Even like the White Lotus also on HBO Max, that's also very much you know making fun of rich people. Oh, love to see that. So that's my number nine, the Paradox Hotel. And now you're at number eight. My number eight is I Kissed Shara Wheeler by Casey McQuinston. Um, I love Casey's first two books, um, Red, White, and Royal Blue and One Last Stop. Both were adult 
rom-coms. Um, this was their first venture into YA, and I just really appreciated um, Casey's advertisement for the book. Talked about how this was like very much based on like real life. It was very important to them, um, especially with regards to like religious trauma in the book. So it was a very personal book for Casey. Um, I personally just don't prefer YAs, but I thought it was a good book to wreck because I did like it a lot. And it reminded me a lot of Paper Towns by John Green, if you've ever read or seen that one. I haven't, but it's been on my KBL file. Yeah, it's it's very much, um, so it, it's very similar. But yeah, definitely one I would wreck. Love Casey's work. Uh, they're writing a new one, so I'm very much looking forward to that. I also can back up the recommendation for I guess to share with other you know I would had a good time with that as well and in general like you know as with you Casey McPherson's work and in general I've been loving their work and even like since I, I because I remember Red Red White and Royal Blue that was one of the I think first that was definitely one of the first few rom-coms I read back when I was diving into reading back in 2022 like really really picking up more books Red White and Royal Blue was definitely one of those first few books I picked up Mm-hmm. Was like, it was the first queer rom-com I read ever. Um, loved it. So great. I don't I don't know if it was the first queer rom-com I'd ever read, but it was, it was one of the first. I'm trying to think back on the memory bank, but definitely one of, one of the first. And I remember just hearing mm-hmm. everyone like, praise it. And, you know, just like, oh, you know, we love it. And, and, and I'm excited for the book, for the movie adaptation. You know, excited, excited for nervous, you know? I'm very, I'm nervous. I'm... Oh, I just um, I know Casey is very um, Casey was pretty active in the movie and also saying praises about it. So I'm I'm resting my hopes in Casey's good judgment. Trust Casey. That's yes. my mantra for that movie. Just trust Casey. <gasps> yeah, And one of one of the uh, one of the one of the leads uh, was actually in Purple Hearts. That's but I got connected. Yes. Um, and which I I, w- I would say though I was not a big fan of Purple Hearts. In fact, Purple Hearts is my was my least favorite movie of twenty twenty two. I refuse to watch it. I won't watch it because I want the first thing I see that actor in to be Red, White, and Royal Blue. Same for um the actor who plays Alex. I haven't seen any of their movies or previous work, and I refuse to watch it before I watch Red, White, and Royal Blue. Yeah, understandable, understandable. Yeah, because yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Nicholas Cadetine, he's the one who's gonna be in both. He was he was in Pot and then he'll be in Red, White, and Royal Blue. Oh, so yeah, I would definitely recommend. Yeah, staying away from Pot, you know, what better least, you don't have to stay away from it forever if you want. But yeah, there's a good reason it's my least favorite movie of 2022. Yeah, I heard lots of mixed reviews on it. <gasps> mixed too. I, I, they should be wholly negative, in my opinion. They were. There were um, many people who loved that movie. Lots of um, people I've heard who loved it. And then I'm lots aware. of people who's... Fr- frankly, people whose judgment I trust a lot more <laughs> said that, that it was not good. I mean, there's a reason... There's a reason it's called purple, as in uh, politically. Politically purple, if you want to get that clue. Like, hmm, how does this fare politically? <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, that's your pick, that's your pick for number eight. I kissed your brother, and now that mine is Kiss Her Once for Me by Addison Cochran. Now, I do want to say before I, before I talk about this book, I do want to confess that originally I did have 
Estatus by Colleen Hoover in the number eight spot. However, because of certain recent events, i.e. the Estatus coloring book that was going to be released, but then thankfully was scrapped from the whole plan, I was just like, yeah, you know what, I'm gonna, you know, it's like, it's been too long. I've been making exceptions for Connie Hoover for too long. I really need to start uh, rethinking my, uh, my relationship with her books. And it's like, hmm, it's, it's difficult because I have, you know, even like done multiple podcasts. I've done, like, I think I've done like four podcasts on her work. And it's just like, oh, there's so much crap. And, and it's just like, she's such a problematic author. And, the whole, and like, how do you do it? And, and, and that's what this coloring book is like, it, it's just so exploitative, it feels like, and it's, it has, it has what's needs to stop being promoted as this light and fluffy romance book. It's not that, it's about domestic abuse. And I hope that the movie is truthful about that, because there will be a movie adaptation of it. So I hope that it will be, you know, like, hey, give people a warning, this will be very, very happy. Mm-hmm. But, so that's, so I bumped, it's not, it's not out of the, out of the spot, and, Replaced it with Kiss at Once for Me, and this was a this was a, a Kiss at Smilecom, and I read it you know read it back in December, and it's funny because this was actually based off of While You Were Sleeping, which I which I did which I did a three episode on I did record a podcast on that for December, and so and this follow and this follows the the main character Eddie Oliver, who is financially struggling at the beginning of the book and is just like, you know, dealing with some craft and had recently been had recently been fired from the animation studio Laika and is just like in the state where where she's just like, ah, you know, my dreams, I know my 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 dreams have failed. I'm not gonna be able to make anything of myself. I'm working at this coffee shop. I'm you know, I'm I'm struggling to pay my rent. And then she gets approached by her boss, Andrew, who comes up with this whole fake dating plan. Not even just fake dating, the fake engagement plan, where if he has to like do it because he has to, he wants to inherit his money, with this whole stipulation and in the in this in this like his grandpa's will that makes it he has to get married first. And then and so he's like, hey you know, I wanna get you know the fake married and I can give you some of the money when all of this is over. And that's when Ellie is like, hmm, you know, some money. That's, you know, that, that's very intriguing. So she goes along with the whole plan and he takes her up to meet his family. But then we find out that, that his sister, Jack, was someone that Ellie had uh, gone out with. Like, you know, we had met for like, you know, one day, the, the previous Christmas, because this whole, thing, this whole book takes place, you know, at Christmas time. And Ellie and Jack had apparently gone out on this whole date the previous Christmas, and it was a whole, and it was a, and it was a date that had a whole messy ending, and so now it's like, oh, whole bunch of complications here. And this was a book that I that I, I won't say that this is as lighthearted and fluffy as a very no me cute, but it still has an atmosphere. But I feel like it kind of tampered down a bit by more of like the hijinks. It's more like you know hijinks and you know like you know the. The secrets and you know some deception and miscommunication that does you know go on, and I would say like you know there were times where when the the secrets and the miscommunication and lies were getting a bit too much for me the whole hoax, and it was just like oh like 
getting a bit too, maybe, maybe I kind of cringed a bit at specific points. But back on it, like, you know, it was so, it was fun to read and, you know, re- reading about very messy characters. This is definitely a rom-com where the characters are messy. They don't have, they don't have things set in place. There's a whole, mm-hmm. you know, whole bunch of messes you have to clean up. For sure. I did, I also did appreciate the names. Like, you know, I even appreciate having names. Like Ellie, for example, that's an homage to While You're Sleeping because uh, Sandra Bullock's character, her middle name is Eleanor. And then Jack, of course, because it's short of Jacqueline, is an homage to Jack, as in Bill Pullman's Jack in, in the rom-com. Which also is, is, is set around, you know, set around, you know, Christmas time and New Year's, and that's why, you know, that's why I included it in the movie and the Christmas, you know, theme lunch, for example. And uh, it's a family. I was always, I was always really into, like, you know, Andrea's family's dynamic as well. You know, also, also messy, you know, as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, dysfunctional. But I would say, like, still endearing, you know. Except, except for the dad. Yes. Yes, I have lots of thoughts on this book. And it's actually up later on my list. So I'll save my thoughts for oh, then. Okay. okay, good, 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 good. Oh, so that's my number eight. Kiss her once for me. And now you're at number seven. My number seven was Mistakes Were Made by Meryl Wins. Will. I'm not going to say her last name, right? Meryl Wilsner. That's mine too, um, at number seven. Oh, for real? <laughs> Look at us go. Um, that's too funny. But, you know, it was very, very, very good book. It was very bold. It's not something a lot of people would dare to write about. But you know what? Like, why not? Like, it's it's a rom-com. It's it's supposed to be, you know, it's just a very funny little, like, college girl falls in love with her best friend's mom. Like, that happens, right? <laughs> very, very cute, very sapphic, very, very smutty. It was just a book you could pick up and read, and there was, like, no consequences, no thinking, like, just something to read. And I thought it was very good. All right, all right. You know, and again, both in the same spot. So now we just, I, you know, get to jump over to my thoughts on the book, which, and by the way, I actually, I still need to read uh, Mel Wilson's other book, Something to Talk About. Yes. And here's the thing, like, I actually, I read like the first hundred pages of that. And then, because I was planning to do a podcast on it with my friend Spock, but then, uh, but then she ended up not reading it. She got really bored by it. And so then I was like, well, I guess if I'm not going to do a podcast on it, maybe I'll just stop here. Like, I, I stopped, always intending to come back to it, but I've never come back to it. And uh, I think maybe like five or six months that I stopped reading it. So I said, I accidentally DNF'd the damn book. Something to talk about and mistakes were made are like polar opposite books. It is yes. so funny to me that the same author wrote both those books. Because you have the slowest of slowest soul burns. Like, it's yeah. so painfully slow. Like, I love the book. Something to talk about. I love that book. The slow burn was really good for me. But it was the slowest slow burn I've ever read in my life. And then you have Mistakes Were Made, which, page five. like It kicks off right away. Which I love. I loved both. Um, and I can't wait for the author's next book coming up in September of this year. Yeah, me too. Yeah, oh, something to talk about. Like, and, you know, I can understand why Sabah was so, like, because Sabah does not care for slow-paced stuff, you know? So even, like, the first 100 pages, I was just like, I'm enjoying this, but this is definitely a slow burn. So I can I can understand, but... Yeah, so mistakes are made. Yeah, so that is on the other side of the, of the you know, spectrum in terms of how it handles its tropes. And 
this is definitely yeah, it is it, it is interesting like how Mel Brooks approaches this. I I feel like you know for example the whole taboo romance of the of the book with the age gap and which is something that I, I'm generally not really into. I feel I feel like typically, I just feel like it can it most of the time it does come off as pretty cringy. You know, in my opinion, I know there's a lot of people who love it, but just you know, I feel like for me, like you know, age gap is not my thing. Uh. But I feel like in this case, Mel Wilsner actually did a pretty good job at making it not cringy somehow, which is a feat. And the and on top of that, it's like you've got you got that, and then you've got the best friend's mom trope combined. It's just like that should be a whole cringe fest. And like I sure there are some parts, a few parts I'm cringing at it, but not in a bad way, more in a good way. Like, what's fitting for the narrative. Um. Yeah, the author kind of does play on those, like, taboo tropes a lot. Even in um Something to Talk About, it was the age gap was still there. I don't think it was as big as in Mistakes Were Made, but there was an age gap. I think it was, like, a little over 10 years Something like that. And but, but, it was it was assistant and boss, which is considered taboo a lot yeah. of the times. Um, but like both like didn't feel exploitative or like um, it wasn't like fetishy or anything weird. Yeah. I don't like the author just has a very niche talent for writing taboo tropes without any sense of taboo. Yeah, it was it was it was handled pretty sensitively. Mm-hmm. Again, even in something to talk about, which again I only read like beginning of it but it's like yeah this is actually i'm not i'm not cringing at the relationship somehow between an assistant and a boss which sure. should be. yeah for sure yeah and, and, and even here so in, in mistakes are made the age gap is i think i know i know it's 21 years old for cassie and then late 30s for aaron so, yeah i think cassie was 22 and i think aaron was 38 something like that 22 and yeah. 38 some, it's somewhere in the age range. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe I'm getting the ages wrong, but it's somewhere in the mm-hmm. age range. It's like, I don't know, like, like over 15 years, basically, of the gap, I think. Yeah. So, and then I should, I should add also, it's not like they know about like the whole best friend's mom thing when they first hook up. It's like, oh, right, right. They meet at the bar, right. they hook up, then the it's, next day, yes, Cassie's friend Parker introduces her to her mom, and Parker's mom turns out to be Aaron. And. Oh. <laughs> The, I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming, but when it came out, I was just like, oh, damn. I know, you could see it coming a mile away. You're, like, watching it get closer and closer, and you're like, no, don't, don't do it. <laughs> and then, just, uh, ugh, it was so funny. It was great. Couldn't look away. <laughs> and this is also another romance where the characters are very messy. I feel like me- messier, well, I would say messier than the ones in, well, I don't know, the ones in... The ones in Kiss the ones were also pretty messy. But I feel like the ones here are just a bit messier. And I would say there were points where it did annoy me. Like annoy me in a bad way, where I felt like the characters were kind of acting immature. Like I feel like I feel like Erin surprisingly had some moments where she was acting surprisingly surprisingly like a child despite the fact that she's a full grown adult. And there's even mm-hmm. like there was one specific moment, and unfortunately I can't remember what the moment was, but there's a point when Aaron and Cassie are arguing. And I just remember Aaron saying something like that I found to be really cruel and toxic in a way that really belittled Cassie. And it was yeah, like, I think I know exactly what you're talking about, too. Yeah. I, and again, I can't remember what the moment is, but I just know that moment exists. 
And yeah, I'm pretty like yeah, I can I think I I think I know the exact line you're talking about. I think where she talks about um Aaron or not Aaron, um Cassie. What's the other girl's name? Aaron's the mom Cassie, where Cassie is dealing with her mommy issues through Aaron. Yeah. It was, that was yes. And that that line really would have bothered me, but I think later in the book, um, maybe a few chapters later or a chapter later, Cassie's talking to her best friend about it, and her best friend like totally puts her in her place about it. So like the characters are very messy, but they have like stable friends. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, like it's like it's for Cassie, she has Acacia, and for Aaron, she has her best friend, and they like kind of like are the stable figures in this book, which allowed the other two to be super messy. Right, Aaron has a friend Rachel. Which, Rachel, yes. Yeah, yeah. Which, I did, I did appreciate Rachel's role, role in the book, and okay, I was gonna say though, even Parker, I thought like Parker, and granted, Parker is young. I think she was like also like early twenties, but I also found Parker to be like also pretty like oh you you really are like a child here in some situations so what you're yeah. poor again. acacia had to deal with cassie and um, uh parker again yeah very you know very you know messy characters but you know i was able to you know get into it you know even at times when certain you know certain moments were bothering me and uh, i also really appreciate uh, the queer up and, and, and this as well with uh with Cassie and and Parker all identifying as bi and Rachel was was pansexual and in general like I'm glad we're seeing more books that have that, that have explicitly bi characters mm-hmm. and I feel like you know it helps fight back against the bi erasure that tends to happen in queer media and for sure so that's mistakes were made and. Okay. Also, I will. I will say. I feel like it was, it was very steamy. I feel like most of the time, I feel like the steam was fitting for the book. There were a few times where I felt like it was more unnecessary, and maybe a little extraneous. But I feel like most of the time, it was pretty good. Like you know, in the range of steamy rom coms, I feel like you know there was some where like ah, you're just throwing in the steam for, for spice for no reason. And I feel like this is an example where most of the time, like eight percent of the time, the spicy scenes are like you know. It, it, it you're good, you know, like they're fitting for yep. that space that you're in. Smut with plot. That's what I like to call that book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Even like I feel like also the kids quotient is also a really good a really good example of that. So where like the smut is there for a good reason, you know? The smut is plot. Yeah, it builds the builds the plot. Uh, another book, kids quotient, also another book was steamy right away. So, that's my number seven, and our number seven mistakes are made, and now, your number six. My number six was um, Icebreaker by Al Graziati. I think that's how you say his last name. Um, it was released early 2022. Um, I actually, I read it so long ago, I thought it was a 2021 book, but I looked it up, it is 2022. Um, and it's about two rival hockey players getting dr- uh, pulled they're going to play for the same t- college team. Um, they're going into the NHL draft, which the NHL draft, they can draft you and then you finish college, which is kind of different than other sports. But it actually didn't, there wasn't a lot of hockey. There, it was a lot more of like personal growth and like how you change going to college and how to deal with like coming out when you're a media figure and you're still young. Like these, they're like 18, 19 years old. And then of course you have the rivals, which is super cute. But I love a good sports 
romance book. I love a good queer sports romance book, which are getting, there's more and more of those coming out, which is, which I love to see. So Icebreaker was very good. Yeah. I'm interested in checking that out. Yeah. And it, it deals with a lot of like really heavy themes, like masculinity, like, like toxic masculinity and like internalizing that. And it deals with race in a very white dominated sport. Like hockey is a very white dominated sport and how these two characters who are um, both black um, deal with that. And then there's also lots of relationship types. Like one of the characters sisters is in a poly relationship. Um, So like, it's just very interesting. And like the great thing is I can recommend this to my friends who don't like sports because you don't really have to know anything about hockey to read the book. So that's nice. Yeah. I appreciate that. That's my number six. Right. And now, my number six is, funnily enough, another sports-related book. Terry Soto is back by Taylor Jenkins Reid, which is an, which is yet another book that I read by TJR. I've done a few podcasts on, on her work, uh, specifically on The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo and Daisy Jones and The Six. Both of which are getting, you know, like a few of the books we mentioned before, they're also getting out of adaptations, which, you know, I'm nervous and excited for. And Terry Soto's Back is definitely like one, one, of the, one of the big books of 2022. It's following Terry Soto, who, you know, is just, you know, tennis champion, and, it, and she's, you know, like really fierce and determined, and she, uh, has, and she ends up growing a, a, a reputation that ends up making a lot of people uh, dislike her very much. And of course, it also, there's obviously a whole bunch of misogyny that plays into, into that. So there comes a point where she ends up, where she retires. But then there's another tennis player, an up and coming star, Nikki Chan, who breaks Carrie's record as a 1994 US Open. And this spurs on, on Carrie, who's been in retirement for six years at this point to get back into the game, regain her records, and she's getting coached by her dad along the way. And I love the, I love the supportive relationship between the two of them. You know, because sometimes I feel like, you know, I've, I've followed a lot of relationships between children and parents that are dysfunctional and, you know, like very toxic. But in this case, you know, it's, it's, it's a very loving relationship where you can really see how the dad cares for her. And, you know, there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of love between them, so I really appreciate that, and uh, just and just you know the personal arc that Carrie goes through, it was just you know really enthralling, and the way that it you know involves tennis, I feel like this was I feel like this was really good. Like as you were saying, you know about hockey, I feel like this was did the same thing for the tennis. Where I don't know much about tennis, you know, even though I would like to you know maybe get into the sport, you know, one day you know to start playing tennis. Uh, I don't really know much about it though, but. It never left me confused. It, it, it was using the terminology in a way that was able to, you know, get me engaged and I was able to keep up with, keep up with it. I really appreciate how a TJI is able to really, like, hone it, you know, just uh, really uh, wield the skill she has of creating complex, uh, complex, you know, women and, you know, who star in her books. And they're not meant to be wholly likable. To uh, the kind of like part of them was like maybe you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't necessarily want to hang out with them, but you still want find find them to be endearing, you know, protagonists to go along with, and you know that complicated, but flawed, and you know, 
I think TKI does a really great job with that. I feel like especially like, you know, with Terry Soto or, you know, Daisy Jones, you know, from Daisy Jones number six or Evelyn Hugo. I feel like those are, you know, best examples. And it's also funny how in this book, so um, Mick Weaver, now anyone who, now anyone who reads, you know, TJR books knows, you know, Mick Weaver is a, you know, a, as a recurring character in TJR's books. And Mick Weaver does not make an appearance in Terry Soto's back, but he does get mentioned. And I want to comment more on that because I was reading some, I was reading some uh, Goodreads comments. Uh, there's a whole thread on this, on Goodreads, about uh, the topic of Mick Weaver. And there's one comment. And I'll give credit to the Goodreads commenter B. Apparently, B wrote, I couldn't agree more. Mick Weaver is like that one zip you thought you got rid of the night before. Only for it to pop up in the morning and stick to you like a unicorn horn all day. Mick Weaver is the biggest zip of them all. Ugh. <laughs> That's too funny. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, because he does, he does pop up in the books, you know? And I, I, feel, like, I, feel, like, I feel like, especially Evan Hugo, Rather than writing, those are the two books where it's like, oh, he actually has a pretty important role in the plot. The other books I've read, specifically Dave, Dave Jones and then this, he's mentioned, but now it's like, like you know, maybe he pops up for a bit, but now it's like a big, a big, you know, relevance to the plot. And there was actually a thing I found where then it, apparently TKI had a newsletter where she actually wrote something about McGreevar, and, and, and she said, I write about McGreevar because he's everywhere. He's in your favorite movie franchises. He's collecting Grammys. He's running companies. He's in our government taking away our rights. He may be in your home. Maybe I can't stop him, but I can stick around after he leaves, and I can ask the people he left in his wake, are you okay? I can make them the center of my story. That's why I make Reva. Which I find it actually be really compelling. That's, I guess, mm-hmm. that's, that's the reason why she puts them, puts them in, the, in the books. I like that a lot. Oh. Yeah, I like that. All right, so... That's my number six, Carrie Soto is back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I wouldn't be surprised if we end up hearing like, oh, like, you know, maybe there'll be, there'll be like a movie adaptation of this, you know? Oh, I'd love, I'd love that. In time. You know, we got, we got the adaptation coming up for other works, you know? Yeah. Very exciting. Uh, so, that's my number six. Now you're number five. My number five was Season of Love by Helena Greer. Um, I would... I would tell you that this is my last rom-com on the list, but that'd be a lie. So we're going to continue on. Um, it was very cute. It was a Christmas book. I told myself I wanted to read more Christmas books this year. It was one of the Christmas, one of many Christmas books that came out this year with queer rep in it. It also had a lot of other great rep, Jewish rep, um, plus size, butch, lesbian, which I love. It was just, it was very cute. It was, and it was a very solid debut novel. Like it was the author's debut novel. And there were moments where I could kind of tell it was maybe a debut novel, but like it was very well written. The whole point, the premise of the book is, I cannot remember any of the characters' names now that I have to talk about the book, of course, but our main character runs away from home when she's fresh out of high school. She's a new adult and makes a business for herself, basically redoing antiques, making that like basically a Pinterest account and remakes antiques into sellable items. Um, and then her great aunt, who is Jewish but owns a Christmas tree farm, dies. And she goes home and she kind of has to, like, pick up where she left off with the people she left behind. Um, even though she was running for, like, good reasons, for running from family trauma, she kind of has to pick up 
the pieces she left behind with the rest of the people who cared about her. And it's very cute. Lots of messy characters. So great friend groups, which I love friend groups in novels, especially in like rom-coms. I love well-developed friend groups. So this would be one I'd definitely wreck. Yes, yes, yeah. I, I definitely, even when I look it up here on Goodreads, it says BuzzFeed's most anticipated LGBTQ romances of 2022. I, I, I was actually, I remember this being something else I was considering covering uh, back for December. And, you know, like, I, I feel like this could be a candidate for, you know, next year. We'll, we'll see, you know. And also, I, also I'm glad to see more of the, I think some more holiday books coming out with uh, Jewish representation and have focus mm-hmm. on Hanukkah, which is good to see because... I feel like I feel like it is more the the field is more overwhelmed by the Christmas media, and like mm-hmm. even you know even on a podcast like the whole month was for Christmas. Even though I was like, can we squeeze in maybe some some maybe like maybe at least one one thing about about Hanukkah? You know, and it's it's frustrating because we we don't have any movies. Like I feel like the like very very few movies that focus on the Hanukkah. It is mostly Christmas, and like you don't do anything for like you know Kwanzaa either. And then for books, we're starting to see more stuff for books, you know, but it's still, it's, it's, the, the books are more than the movies, but it's still, it's still a struggle to find them. Yeah. And this one did a good job of like, it is a Christmas tree farm that I, they're on and they like make a lot of money off of making a good Christmas experience for people. But because the family is Jewish, there was a lot of Hanukkah traditions, traditional Jewish food. So it was a really good read in terms of like Jewish rep as well with mixing Christmas in there. So yes, I'm, I'm glad you put that in your list again. You know, do you want to get? I do want to get around to that sometime. You know, maybe at the, maybe at the end of the year, season of love. All right. So that is your number five pick, and now my number five is the house across the lake by Riley Sager. Now this is a psychological thriller. It revolves around Casey Fletcher, who is an actor and. Who is her, and she's leaving her dead husband, and she ends up having to find shelter in her family's lake house over in Vermont. She ends up befriending this couple that seems, you know, just perfect from the outside, just, you know, this glamorous couple, Catherine and Tom. And she befriends Catherine specifically after Catherine almost drowns. And then Casey gets to know the couple a bit more. And then suddenly Catherine goes missing. So Casey starts going into this whole, you know, trying to solve the mystery and being like, where's Catherine? And she starts looking at Tom and being like, hmm, you're sus. And, uh, and the whole mystery just, you know, unfolds from that point. It, this was definitely, this is one of the, if you're, if you're judging a psychological thriller based purely on the wild turns it takes, this is one of the books where it's like, oh, this takes some wild turns. And... And that was actually a criticism that some readers took to the book, where they did not like the way it ended up. Uh, they, they were not appreciative of the direction it ended up heading in, which I can understand that. It, again, it is wild. It's like, whoa, wasn't expecting you to go there, but you you know, you have to do that. Personally, I was into it. And it, just, it was, you know, just really gripping, just like, you know, after trying to find out, you know, what, what's really going on, the twists and turns. And, uh, and, and in general, Riley Sager ha- has, you know, done some great work before. I've already, I've already, I've already read, I've, I've already read uh, a couple other books by him, Survive the Night, and uh, Lock Up Your Door. 
and he has a couple other books like Home Before Dark, Final Gold, The Last Time I Lied. I don't need to read those books, but Survive the Night and Lock Every Door, I can vouch for the quality of those thrillers, and I've been involved for The House Across the Lake. And I think I think he he has a style for just being able to write these uh, compelling thrillers, that, you know, going some you know twists and turns, and they keep you engaged the whole way through. You know, just you know something about that in his books. And I'm excited for his next book, The Only One Left. That's the next book coming out this year. I'm pumped for that. And The House Across the Lake. Again, that's my number five. Again, it goes in a certain direction where it's like, wow, you had it in this direction. I got, I, I got have to, I have to really make sure people know that. And if you're in for something that's like kind of bonkers, then, you know, go for it. So that's my number five. Now you're number four. Okay, I'm warning you, I'm cheating on this one. Um, this is called my close enough pick. It was released mid December of 2021, mm. but it didn't get traction on TikTok until 2022, and then that's when it got really popular. So we're calling it my close enough pick. Um, if this gets out by Kale Dietrich and Sophie Gonzalez, um, it's um, basically a Louis Harry fanfic, but it's two bandmates uh, in a boy band um, that kind of fall for each other. And it's like this like um, self-discovery, like queer awakening type of situation while also living in the limelight and being a very popular, um, and uh, being a member of a very popular band and like having management kind of like overseeing all your life choices and like who you're going to be is not who you are. Like, it's like it's who they want you to be. Um, so it's very cute. It's very good. Deals with a lot of heavy topics. And that was my close enough pick for my 2022 reads. I've heard a bit about this, but not that much, actually. Although I will say, though, I have not been on... I only joined TikTok like, recently, so it's not like I haven't been all that deep in the book talk, but I've heard a bit about it, but not that much. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was really good. Um, I liked that the two authors... So the two authors co-wrote it. Um, it's switching um, perspectives between um, our one love interest and the other love interest. Um, but it also just, again, deals with friend groups, which I love in rom-coms um, or in romance books in general. And yeah, um, definitely would wreck. Super good. Yeah, so yeah, Sophie Gonzalez. That's right. I, I yeah, I've, I've actually read uh, a Sophie Gonzalez book, Perfect on Paper, with. Yes, I own that one. That one's on my TBR. I, I actually really enjoyed that, and also have to get get around to reading Never Ever Getting Back Together, also by Sophie Gonzalez. All right, and now my number four is Love and Other Disasters. By Anita Kelly, which I, I which I'd also covered. I I've also done a podcast on this. It was uh, it was back in back in June on Suicide Critic, and this focuses on Dahlia and London. Dahlia is recently divorced and is coming to terms with her bisexuality. London is uh, it, it's kind of like building with is dealing with their own identity and how they're coming out as gay them on live television because they're both on this cooking reality TV show. Uh, and, and, and they end up having this, you know, really very adorable romance uh, as the show is being as the show is being filmed. Uh, I would say though, the first act the first act does deploy some cringy tropes. You know, like the clumsy woman, the man who dream goal. Uh, kind of like there's one point where London uh, rejects Dahlia due to 
what I felt was flimsily executed insecurity. But the rest of the book is pretty sweet, and uh, and this is and this is definitely also a book where to, I feel like Dahlia specifically is pretty messy, full of chaotic energy. So you know, you know, messy, a messy lead here, and it's and and it's also pretty pretty cute to watch. You know, to watch like how London specifically tries so hard to resist your feelings for Dahlia, and like lots of moments like that. And there's also lots of food in the book, you know, because obviously cooking reality show, so there were a lot of points where I was getting hungry just reading about the food they were cooking, all the dishes. I would say though, the, the, the book is very steamy, and I like it, and I was into the steam, but I would say, you know, one, one listener is like, hey, this is very steamy, more than I thought it would be, like, you know, even like food play that gets involved, and uh, which I was like, okay, like, you know, I can get into this, you know, the food play. There was I was looking I was looking this up on Goodreads and reading some comments, and there was one comment on Goodreads uh, by the name of Kelty who wrote, "Major trigger warning: A toe gets sucked." But if you can look past that significantly disturbing paragraph, this was such a cute book. <laughs> and I was like, "Wait, I forgot about that." But once I read it, I was like, "Oh, I remember what that happened now." <laughs> Yeah, so that's part of the book. There have been, there are actually quite a few like kitchen or like cooking show queer romances out there that are on my TBR. Like more than you would think. Like it seems like a very specific category, but there's like quite a few that are like yeah, so in that setting. The romance recipe. That was the romance recipe. Yeah. Um Paris Dallincourt's about to crumble and yes. Rosaline Palmer takes the cake, both by Alexis yes, Hall. Yes, yes. And then um, this one is also on my TBR. But, like, it seems like such a very, like, narrow category. And then when, like, I'm thinking about it, I'm like, huh, there are, like, a lot of books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's coincidental, yes. And, well, I guess I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a whole trope, you know? It's definitely becoming a whole trope. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah. Rosaline Parker, by the way, that was, that was really great. I, I, I really enjoyed that one. Yes, I was in the middle of it. I'm, I'm like still in the middle of that book because I lost my copy, and I cannot find it. <laughs> and I know as soon as I buy a new copy, it's gonna show up, and then I'll have two copies. No. So my search continues. <laughs> oh, I'll be, I'll be buying original copies soon. <laughs> so, I love another disasters. Not perfect. Maybe a little quibble, but like, I feel like the book was. A pretty overwhelmingly white, which is it, it kind of jumped out at me. Like, it, I, and granted, like, you know, I love the queer app, but for some reason, it was overwhelmingly white, and that just kind of, you know, jumped out at me in a way that it didn't for other books. And again, the tropiness, like I said before, the first act can get very tropey, you know, but I feel like if you can, if you're able to forgive that, then I feel like this is, you know, you know, it's, it's pretty good, you know. Enjoy the rest of the romance, you know, and all this, all this sweetness. And I'm excited for, you know, to be getting to work with Anita Kelly's work because we're actually gonna do a whole, a whole like a standalone trilogy, and how and even like the Parker family, that's London family. Uh, the Parker family is part of all three books in this trilogy, and something wild and wonderful that'll be the standalone sequel. And then the third book will also, like, you know, again, 
it's gonna it's gonna involve uh Jordi, it's gonna involve Jordi Parker, one of the Parker relatives. So I'm excited to see dive more into that. Yeah, I love that books are doing this now where they do like a trilogy, but they're all standalones and the characters overlap. I love that. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, like even like the, the Kiss Quotient trilogy does that, or the Brown Sisters. I was say you you searched in that one. Um, my my best friend's favorite series is like the Fine Print series, the DreamWorks Billionaire. Oh yeah, it's, I it's three that. brothers. I haven't I haven't um, read that yet. I haven't either. She's been telling me to read it all of all year long, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get through it. Um, I've I, I'll be honest. I haven't read a straight romance in so long, <laughs> like so long. And I also have Kiss Quotient on mine because you've been wrecking it since we've met, and I've had it on my list since we've met. So I'm like, oh, it's Arthur's favorite. I gotta read it. Um, so I'm trying to like so for me diversifying my my um my bookshelf would be reading straight books. <laughs> so. I love that, but seriously though, because if you're if you're gonna read a romance between two cishet between a, a man and a woman, and they're both cishet, you kiss quotient is a very very good pick for that. If you're gonna go for a straight yes. read, very good, good. And I do I, own it. It is on my shelf now, so we're getting closer and closer. It's funny, it. it's funny that you bring it up because actually in my in, in my phone in my phone Discord server, one of my fans on there actually uh, finished reading that and she loved it. She was like, "Yes, this is amazing. It's not cringy. Even like it's very it's very steamy, but not cringy. It's, and it's well paced. And you know, and, and she particularly loves Michael, the 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 man and the and the couple. Which you know, Michael is definitely one of my one of my favorites. Romance tales about a cinnamon, a cinnamon bowl, as, as the trope goes. And it's funny, like you were saying, that you even have given read a straight romance in a while, and it's like, it's funny, I'm, it makes me think of, of, of Kirby, one of our, you know, one of our server, one of our server members, who also, does, who does not, who does not care for like straight romances. And it's funny, like, mm-hmm. I, was trying, I was trying to recommend, like, hey, you maybe want to read the kiss question? You know, that's a good one. And she's like, nope. No, no penises. They were not not fans of that. But it's just funny because, like, tropes that usually annoy me, if you make them queer, I love them. Like, fake dating, I hate fake dating tropes. Unless you make it queer, and then I love it. It's, like, immaculate once you make it queer. <laughs> oh, yeah, I understand that. And I, I, and you're saying that, but, but I'm, I'm like, oh, no, but I love fake dating. But I know some people hate it, though. And it, it's getting very popular, I will say. Like, Overwhelmingly popular. Yeah, the point where it's like, oh man, it's getting too popular, you know? It's diluting the market. I also think, like, people are just getting better at writing tropes without making them cringy. Like, I think tropes are great, but, they're like, if you don't do tropes right, like, it's just very, like, unoriginal. Yeah. So. It can feel like you're, yeah, tasting the whole tropes in one romance. For example, I know a lot of people yeah. think that about the Spanish love deception. Which I, st- I, I like. I did a whole episode on it. And I like it, but I can understand why other people hate the trophiness of Spanish love My It's one of my best friend's favorite books. She said it got her out of a reading slump, um, which is another one she told me I have to read. And I feel really bad. She reads all the books I wreck to her. And I have like four from her where I'm like, yeah, I'll read them. Yeah, I'll read them. <laughs> oh, but I really will, I swear. <laughs> it's, like that, it's like that watch list meme, remember? And I, and I was never... I'll put it on the list. <laughs> See you, Rogers. Oh. All right, so 
that's your um, so okay so so that's my number four and now your number three what's your number three or number four is all about disasters that's your number three yes my number three speaking of tropes with a twist was kisser once for me by allison cochran um it's such like it's fake dating but it's the it's the most uh, like the twist that allison puts on the fake dating is just great it's so good like and then the like the whole situation where the sister ends up being the hookup that she had feelings for the last year was so great um plus like the christmas and then you have all the tropes like Again, tropes. I hate tropes, but somehow Allison managed to, like, get so many in without making it super cringy. Like, there was the one-bed trope. They were, like, stranded in a cabin together. The the ski lift broke. Like, (laughs) the tropiest trope ever is the ski lift breaking. And I just fell in love with that part. My my literal, like, my literal only critique of that book is the, um, the way the webcomics were inserted. That's right. Felt a little like like it disrupted the flow for me personally. Um, but I also felt the same way reading Charm Offensive by Alison Cochran, where they had like the film editing, um, the production, the behind the scenes stuff, which I was into. Yeah, and I can see why I can see why it's disrupting for people. Yeah, and it's just Alison's style. I'm still gonna read every single book she writes, but that will, will probably always be a critique of mine for her books. But I mean, I, if people like them, that's totally fine too. I just found them a little bit disrupting. But again, overall, the book was super great. Again, we have, like, butch lesbian rep, which I love. Um, so, yes, very cute. Super great Christmas read. Might give it a reread in July for a little Christmas in July moment, but very good. Uh, yeah, because it wants to be. And also, yeah, and also, I should give my own shout-out to Shashan Offensive, which I... Absolutely love, like you know, I was all for that. I back love when it came the out. charm offensive. Oh, that, that's oh. Addison Cochran's debut novel. Yes. Yeah. And what a debut novel! Like, I think I that's know. probably the best debut novel I've ever read. <gasps> yeah, it, it, oh. it was strong. It was very strong. Like, yeah, and not only was like, like obviously there was queer rep, like the mental health rep in that book. I was not yes. expecting, and was pleasantly surprised by, like, because like most of the time when you think like of authors inserting like mental health rep it's usually just like oh this person's a little depressed today and but like they put it like there was actual depression included in the book there was OCD and anxiety and social anxiety I'm like it was just all very well put together definitely it was well put together also but heavy too one of the one of the heavier rom-coms I've read I don't even know if you can really call it like a, a rom-com because I feel like almost like rom-com implies that it's really lighthearted. But it's like, no, this is actually like, it gets heavy. And to the point where it's like, I was reading the parts with the anxiety and it's almost making me anxious. Just like really yeah. putting me in the character's heads. And it's like, oh, it's making me really anxious. Like my heart's racing. Yeah, I think there have been a lot more books recently where the covers looked really nice and fluffy and then you start reading it and they are a little heavier. And what I've, like, grown to appreciate is, like, authors who will put little content warnings yes. in front of their book. Like, I feel like that's a newer thing, um, but a lot of authors have started doing it, which I've really appreciated. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, like, you know, the marketing team for the publishers, you know, they're trying to market the book by having the covers be all, like, you know, 
be all, you know, colorful or cartoonish. And hey, you know, you want to take this out, you know, just catches your eye. And then it's like, oh, there's got a bunch of heavy, heavy content here. Or maybe like, even like, I know, I know a lot of people complain about a very little meat cute because of how fluffy the cover looks. And if you look at it, you would assume like, oh, this is probably not, not going to have that much steam in it. But then you dive in and then it's like, oh, and it's very steamy. And one of the, and again, B, one of the leads is a porn star. And also lots of sex. Yeah. Um, so I know there's a meter to a drive by that. But so it's a new thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's your number three. And now my number three is I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy, which is also very heavy, like, you know, quite heavy. And this is one, again, one of the, one of the big books that's been making the go around for the year 2022. And I listened to the audiobook for this, which I, which I really enjoyed. It was Jeanette McCurdy herself who did the narration. And mm-hmm. it was diving into her life and her childhood and growing up, you know, uh, filming for Nickelodeon and being on the set of iCarly. And, uh, and and then the spin-off series, Sam and Cat, and, and how she had to deal with, uh, with Dan Schneider, and do, like, the abuse from him. Because he, Dan Schneider was the creator of, like, multiple huge Nickelodeon shows. Like, I call it Sam and Cat, Victorious, Zoe 101, Jake and Josh, The Amanda Show. And then it turns out, like, oh, he is actually a pedophile who did, it, it was like, there was a lot of like sexually suggestive scenes involving kids and teenagers in the shows that she was responsible for. And he was just like, and he, it was like a uh, foot stuff with the kids. Like, and he was like a big old creep basically. And mm-hmm. apparently, and there was actually a point where Nickelodeon had offered uh, Jeanette McCurdy uh, $300,000 to remain silent on this, uh, on this, like, sexual abuse and harassment, but she turned it down, and that's why she was able to, like, speak freely about this. It makes you wonder how many other times have there been when studios like Nickelodeon or Disney or any other studios that deal with kids end up offering the contract to be, like, hey, the money, to be like, hey, you know, shut up about this abuse, and we'll hand you the money, and mm-hmm. it is, like, it is uh, it's terrifying to think about, and I, I'm glad, like we know about it now. Though. We're, we're starting to, you know, it's, we're, we're uncovering it now. And on top of that, that's not the, that's not all that the book covers, though, because then she also because she, then she also uh, dives into the relationship that she had with her toxic and abusive mom, who had died back in 2013 from stage four breast cancer, and. And the, the whole audiobook is like, you no, know, it's, it's titled, I'm glad my mom died. Because, you know, that is the whole thing. It's like, it, it, it's very complex. It, like, it's not as like, simple as that. Like, in, in the book, she does talk about like, how it's not as simple as that. Like, she does deal with a lot of like, emotions and like, guilt and shame over like, what she dealt with her mom. She feels kind of guilty, like, oh, maybe she should, have, she should have been more appreciative for her mom when she was alive. But then there's a part of her that's like, oh, I am truly relieved that she's gone now and I don't have to deal with her abuse anymore. And like gaslighting and and it was because of her mom that Jeanette had to deal with like an eating disorder when she was a child. 
and her mom is pressuring her to go into acting and work and get to bring in the money. It is like infuriating to read about what her mom was doing and the, and the abuse so the insidious ways she was acting in on top of all of the crap with Dan Schneider. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's again it, it is incredibly heavy. But if you can with if you can withstand it, it is worth diving into. It is really like it is it is incredibly vulnerable, and it is really like you're just feeling Jeanette McCurdy really unpack her life and what she's had to endure as a survivor of this abuse. You know, throughout this memoir, and you can and and it does end on an optimistic note. Note where you, you can feel like you know at the end of the memoir, at the autobiography, you you can feel like you know she's starting to pick up the pieces. She's not fully recovered yet. She's not at the, she's not at the, at, at the end of the road. You know, she may never be, but she's going toward along that road. She's healing. You know. Mm-hmm. So you know, I appreciate that optimistic note at the end, and that's you know, so that's why I put it at number three. You know. I'm glad my mom yeah, died. That one's, that one's definitely been on my um, to be read. I didn't quite get through it in 2022 or get to it in 2022, but it's one I've want to read because I grew up watching those shows, you know, like, um, yeah. so yeah, another, another actress I'm that was a huge talking out about child labor um, from the Disney side was, I don't know if you remember Alison Stoner. Um, uh, she was in Camp Rock. Camp Rock. Okay, uh, I, I I didn't watch I didn't I didn't watch the TV the Disney TV shows, but now I know what to talk about. Alison Stoner, Camp Rock. I know what to talk about now. Yeah, she she she. I, most of the stuff I've seen from her is on TikTok, but um, I bet there would be a lot of overlap between stuff at Disney and stuff at yeah. Nickelodeon. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's 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 really really aggravating to hear about all the that. Mm-hmm. Again, we're know, we're knowing about it now, so you know that's good. Um, all right, so that's my number three pick, and now you're number two. My number two is Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake. I love that book. It was super cute. Um, lots of like, again, super great friend groups. Like lots of like very interesting side characters, but like it's about Delilah coming home to her stepmother and stepsister for her stepsister, um, for her stepsister's wedding, um, Astrid, Astrid's wedding. Um, and just like this whole dynamic of like Delilah always felt like an outsider within her family and kind of mending that relationship more with her sister. Um, and yeah. And then of course, falling for her sister's best friend, because that's the, that's the trope. Um, but her and Claire have such an interesting dynamic together I love Claire's daughter I love the her character was super cute too um and then I was actually really surprised because I was when I was putting my list together I'm like there's no way Delilah Green came out this year it had to have been last year um because the book Ashton Parker doesn't fail just came out I was like they put out two in the same year I'm like that's crazy so but yeah um Delilah Green doesn't care is my number two rec um and then Ashton Parker doesn't care is um I didn't quite finish it but that one um would go with that one they're both very good oh that's good that's good yeah I, that's that's one of the that's one of one of the gaps for me that I wasn't able to get around to one of the books I wasn't able to get around to for 2022 it's like it was you know it's that I feel like that and then Babel those are like the two biggest books where I'm like ah I wish I had you know, been able to get 
and I want to get around to them, but I will. I will. I will sometime. Um, I'm also. Mm-hmm. I'm also glad to see that on our list, we're also both putting quite a few staff romances on our on our list. I'm glad to see that. Yeah, um, Delilah Green was one I actually did on Audible, so it's also very well read. Mm. Also a good audiobook rec if people are looking for audiobook recommendations. That's good, that's good. Alright, so that's your, that's your number two, Delilah Green, Doesn't Care. And now, my number two is Here's to Us by Becky Albertalli and Adam Silvera. Now this is a sequel to, uh, to What If It's Us? Which is also by the same two authors. This is a YA, uh, this is a YA queer romance series, and so and, and so this so this takes so the first book, What It Is Us, as follows: these two teenage boys, Arthur and Ben, and Arthur is coming up to New York for a summer internship, and he runs into Ben. You know, they have like a little meet cute at a post office, and then they end up going on this whole, like, you know, uh, summer romance while Arthur is in, while Arthur is in the city. And, uh, and then, and then Cares to Us takes place two years since the events of What If It's Us. And this is, you know, following more of the romance as Arthur comes back to New York for yet another summer internship. And, uh, and they're trying to reconnect you know, maybe see if things could work out this time around because they were trying to stay friends before, but now it's like, oh, wait, wait, maybe could there be something for us this time here? And I, re- so I really love both books. In fact, What If It's Us was part of my uh, top 10 for 2021. And it was just like, you know, it was just something about it where it's like, oh, this actually, I, this actually, you know, hits the right notes with me like it's just incredibly charming and sweet and it's incredibly funny like the humor is just on point and the way that Becky Albertardi and Adam Silvera they write together and it's like because the way it's one it's one author handling one perspective the other author handling the other perspective and so that really helps like giving these two characters Ben and Arthur sort of fleshed out you know different perspectives so inner voices and I and you know they're both authors. You know I love their work. You know Becky Albertalli, you know with uh, the Simon verse, and and then with Adam Silvera, with you know they both died at the end. And I still need to read more of the of the Silvera's work though, but they both died at the end. You know, I love that. I still need to read. I still need to read uh the prequel to that though. And I'm also very glad to hear that there will be the adaptation of it of, of the adaptation of they both died at the end. So that's you know that's gonna be really exciting to look forward to. But yeah, here's to us just you know uh it, here's to us continues what you know we what we got and what what it was us. You know, again, funny, charming, you know, gets to use it's heartwarming, get really you know, get make you fall in love with the characters and you know gets you rooting for them. You know, hopefully, you know, maybe they'll have their, you know, happily ever after or at least, you know, happily for now, you know. And the the way that, you know, the, the fleshed out like you know Ben is Ben has dreams of writing and he has his love he has his lovable friend called Dylan uh and he is very extra as I often put it and Dylan is truly extra he's like such a such a great character he provides so much of the comedy and then Arthur is into Broadway and so there's like you know that's really you know it's really fun 
how the book involves that. And even like Hamilton, Hamilton is a, I remember that being a big thing in What If It's Us. And just, it's just again, just like, yeah, really, really, like, you know, engaging and fun to read. This whole series, both What If It's Us and Here's Was. And I'm glad Here's Was is a job because, you know, I feel like it could have fallen into, into, the, into, the, into the space where it's like, oh, this is a sequel, but it ends up, you know, not fully meeting our expectations, but I feel like this mm-hmm. really is a job. Here's to us by Becky Alpatali and Adam Silvera. That's my number two. And now, your number one, the final book. What's your number one? My number one was Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I love that book. I'm also just a huge tennis nerd. I played tennis in high school and I just love tennis, so that hit mm-hmm. um, for me. I loved that the book focused on Carrie as like her own person, not necessarily on like Carrie. Like there was no, there wasn't, there, I mean, there was romance in the book, but like that wasn't nowhere near the main focus of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the father daughter growth, that relationship, um, the way that um, the two of them kind of like grieved. Um, the mother throughout the book without like explicitly like stating we are grieving about the mother <laughs> like um it was a very subtle note I liked Bo he's a very non-toxic man like I am and like the fact that he practices with Carrie and like never once was it a thing where like I'm a man so I shouldn't be practicing with a woman like it was very I liked that piece um I also when I was like reading the book and listening the the little chapters <clears throat> that had um like blog posts or radio show transcripts where they were there were like people talking about Carrie. I remember reading them and I'm like this is just so much like Serena Williams like the way Carrie is um very loosely based but like more Carrie's more Carrie's like of the figure for Serena Williams like the way the media talks about her is very reminiscent of Serena where Carrie knows she's good she knows she like she kind of she just knows she's good and she knows her talents and her skills and she comes off more aggressive than other women do um and the way the media um kind of rips her apart for that the same way they did Serena Williams um but yeah, I love Carrie Soto. I'm willing to look past. There was a minor um, tennis flaw in the book where oh, no. the tennis wasn't right, and I had to stop for a minute and sit. So it's okay. If you don't know tennis at all, um, or even if you know very little about tennis, you would have missed it. But like the author just described the two of them switching sides at when the score was four four, and I had to sit there because I'm like. You would never switch sides when the score is 4-4. You only switch when the score adds up to an odd number. Oh, no. <laughs> like, it wasn't a big deal at all. It was a very small moment. But, like, <laughs> I had to sit there for a minute and just, like, <sighs> But still, it's still my number one. It still was so good. I really hope there's some sort of adaptation for it. Um, this one would lend itself better to a movie than Evelyn Hugo would. Um, which yes. Evelyn Hugo is getting turned into a movie, correct? On, on, on Netflix, yeah. So Yeah, a movie. Yes. This one would be a better movie. Evelyn Hugo, I don't know how they're going to do that as a movie, but it'll be interesting. But this oh, would be a good movie. Yeah. Uh, is yeah. it going to be seven hours long? Like, what are you... 
I mean, the book isn't even that big, but like every detail in that book is so important. Like, what do you take out to well, make it fit into a movie? You, you're really gonna have to condense. I think because the whole, again, the whole thing is seven husbands. You know, it, it, it follows the whole whole journey through the seven husbands, and it's gonna you're gonna have to really condense some of the husbands. I feel like even like most yeah. most of the husbands. I, I feel like you you have like, two and a half hours. I feel like you two, two and a half hours focus on your life and Celia St. James and condense kind of fast both of the husbands, which is gonna be kinda of funny because then it's gonna it's gonna be like the seven husbands are Evelyn Hugo and then if you confess the husbands, it's gonna be like, oh, they take up like a very small portion of the movie, which it's gonna be like I guess maybe like at the end of the day, we do want to focus on her and Celia St. James, but like, still, it's good. Right. I, I, In I my opinion, I'm like, mm, get rid of the men. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I was watching, there was a TikToker who, very passionate about the uh, the Evelyn Hugo being a series, was like, why wouldn't you make it a seven episode series and yeah. have each episode be the, t- like the title of the episode be the husband? in question and I'm like that would be so interesting like that would have been such a great setup and whatever no one asked my opinion yeah I'm very curious as to who was behind the decision and it's like who like who was behind this the person or people or team who made this did they even check out the book and know like what it's about or did they just make this from like an analytical standpoint and be like well you know this means that we need to bring in this much money so maybe we should do it in a movie you know give the sapphics what we want Yes, but Sussex want a series. <laughs> gonna be, gonna be the movie, and okay, so yeah, okay, but it's interesting. So that's gonna be a movie, but then so they both die at the end. That went to Netflix, and that will be a series. <laughs> was that Someone... was, was that funny? Executive producing. Ugh, who I'm? I need words with people. <laughs> I need a meeting. And oh, Bridget, oh wow, Bridget and creator Chris Van Dusen is from is it will be the creator of They Both Die the End, the showrunner. I never watched that one either. It's on my watch. I refuse to watch. Bridgerton. I refuse to watch more straight shows until the sapphic shows stop getting canceled. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. I'm so but, done with it. <laughs> but hey, you know what? If you're looking for some sample content, I would recommend something like Willow on Disney Plus because that has some good. I just started Willow. I okay. just started it. Okay. I'm like two and a half episodes in, and like I keep pushing off watching like sapphic shows. Like when they came out, I was like, oh, I'll watch Paper Girls later. I'll watch Willow later. And then I'm like, I can't because if I don't watch it right now, they're gonna get canceled. So I have to like start them. And I know Paper Girls was canceled, and I was like. Felt a lot of yeah. guilt inside. I'm like, it's because you didn't watch it. But, but no, um, the sapphic content will come out and now I will immediately watch it. It will have to get watched right away. Yeah. Paper gold, I want to get around to that sometime. And, 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 uh, uh, and Warrior Nuns, I do want to watch that even though it has been canceled. But I can, you know, I can stand, you know, going into the journey but not having it fully finished. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yeah. I know one that's really thriving right now, um, The Sex Life of College Girls. I've been hearing about that. I haven't seen it yet, but I have, I've been hearing about it. I haven't seen it either, but I know it's sapphic. I know Renee Rapp is in it. I know that it's been getting a lot of attention. So hopefully it won't get canceled before I can start it. <laughs> yes. So that's your uh, number one. 
Uh, yep, little tangent both. there, but yep, Carrie yeah. Soto is back. That's my number one. Hey, I, I love the tangents. I love the tangents. I love it. <laughs> and, oh, okay. One more thing I should. One more thing we should add. Also, uh, I do. I appreciate how the representation for Carrie for for, for Carrie being a Tina also in the book as well. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought it's pretty well well handled, despite the fact that TJR is a white author. And I yes, I was going to say that there has been a lot of critique of um that uh, or not a lot i've seen some critique of tjr writing latina women but not being latina herself um i haven't done a ton of digging um as to like maybe like how she gets a lot of her information for writing as a latina woman but as a white woman like writing a latina woman as a white woman but it'd be interesting to see like her process of like maybe who she talks to what kind of research she does so well, interestingly enough, I feel like the Southern Husbands of Evelyn Hugo did run into more kind of like problematic material in terms of using kind of like Latinx stereotypes, Hispanic stereotypes. And whereas I feel like in this book, and Kate Soto is back, I feel like it actually was able to steer around those problems. Like, for example, I think one of the, one, one of the issues I had with the uh, Southern Husbands of Evelyn Hugo was how, like, oh, like Evelyn, Evelyn had a bad, like, her, her, her dad was an absentee parent. And it falls into a stereotype of Latinx people having bad dads. But then when Carrie mm-hmm. Soto's back, Carrie ends up having this like really great relationship with her dad. So it ends up like it directly subverts that trope, which had which mm-hmm. that trope has been used in Evelyn Hugo, which was interesting to watch. And I was like, oh, did like was this I was wondering if it was purposeful on KJR's part, like, did she listen to the criticism and be like, oh, maybe I should give, like, a, a loving relationship with the dad for this last next character, you know? You're right. Which, yeah, it was, it was, an, it was interesting. Um, Alrighty, Arthur, what's your number one? Yep, my number one is Bloodmarked by Tracy Dion, which, you know, I've been, I've been praising it in our books Discord server. I did a whole episode on, on the show with Sam Cabrera Dixon, as my guest from the podcast Hot Couple Hose, and, and, and she, along with her co-host, had actually been on an episode I did earlier for the first book, Legendborn. And we all love the book, and for, for, for both Legendborn and Bloodmarked, and I am putting it here as my number one book, because Bloodmarked is just, it, 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 it matches up, you know, to the quantity I, I expected, because the whole Legendborn series, it, it is it's inspired by Australian lore, and it's following you know, it's a secret society that, you know, uh, it's a secret society of, you know, legendborns, so-called, who are descended from the Knights of King Arthur, and the main character, you know, Bree Williams, is, you know, it's, it's going into this whole, you know, Australian fantasy adventure, and there's a, a love triangle that, that involves her and a couple other characters, uh, Selwyn and Nick, and they are, and this is one of the, this is a rare example of a love triangle that is handled pretty damn well. Because, you know, most of the time I am, you know, I'm just like, ah, cringy, cringy love triangles. And love triangles have been a topic on this podcast as of late. Even, you know, on, on the podcast that I'll be releasing, you know, as, as, as we record this, I'll be re- releasing a podcast this week on Wednesday, Netflix series. And my guest Katie and I were, Debating about the Love Triangle trope, and Katie was like, "Oh, but I, I was very much into the Love Triangle on Wednesday," and I was like, "No, I'm not into it. I found it to be trite." But 
I found Love Triangle here to be actually like really well fleshed out, and the characters, it's because of the characters, how well layered they are, Bree and Nick and Saul, and the dynamics between them feel real and powerful, and it doesn't feel like superficial or one-dimensional, so that really helps out. So world building is incredible. It is, and here's the thing: it, it, it is very complex. If you were to ask right right now, like, hey, can you explain the world building for me? I would be like, well, I can tell you some stuff about like the scions and legendborns and stuff, and the uh, and the the roots, the, the root crafting. But I can't really go into all of the details for you because I myself can't remember all of them. It is very complex. Not to say that it, it, it's not confusing. It's just that there's so many details, I can't, I can't remember all of them in my puny, puny little brain. But I would actually compare the world building of the, of the Legend One series to the Blood and Ash series. Because it involves, they're both actually quite similar in terms of how they deal with, like, you know, with, uh, with inher- inheriting the powers through the bloodlines and how complex they are and how like, it involves all of these like oh all of these different people who are connected through these you know magical abilities and it's it's all very similar in that fashion and uh, I all, and I love how uh, how Tracy Dion is able to weave uh, black representation into the series and how we as a black teenage girl has to confront racism in her world in both ways that are overt and covert and it's not a primarily queer series, but there are like queer side characters, uh, like mm-hmm. and which I which I re- really appreciate, and 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 there's a and just a, the the whole journey that we goes on not only in Legends One but also also Bloodmarked, is also just really you know really enthralling as you're learning more about these you know twists and turns and you know the secrets and all of that and. And also, it's very dense. It is plot heavy, but it doesn't it, it it doesn't get too too confusing or too slow. You know, it's very engaging. And you know, again, for the lo- it's long, long books. You know, some of the longer books I've read, but again, engaging. You know, full of plot, and I just you know, I am pumped for for what uh, for what the third book in this series will bring to us. And I am really excited, and also because these books also end on the, the cliffhangers. I would say especially for uh for, for Blood Max, it is like oh, there's quite a cliffhanger that you're leaving us on here. <laughs> so yes, that is my that's, that's my number one. You know, in the the Blood Max. Oh, also I really appreciate how they deal with the themes of generational trauma and grief. Those are really powerful themes, in, in the in the series, and I really appreciate how mm-hmm. Dion is able to to handle, to handle them, and and even like and, and going back to Queer Rap, you know, it's all and Love Triangle, who is by, so you know, again, like you know, what what by representation, and just yeah, the blood mics. Yeah, um, yeah, number one. Yeah, I have um one of my twenty twenty three reading goals is to read more diverse genres and I'm hoping to read a lot of like a lot of these um YA books that have non-male white heroes 
is really exciting. They're books I would have loved to read when I was in high school, so I'm hoping to pick some of them back up, like Legendborn, like Ace of Spades, like Cinderella is Dead, like oh, yes. Hell Followed Us Here. Oh, oh it has, uh, Ace of Spades, that's great, and Cinderella's Dead, also great. And... Yeah, and I just started reading Hell Followed Us Here, uh, which has, um, which is very dystopian, um, main characters trans, um, very heavy book, but yeah, um, all these books without, with no male white heroes, love, yes. love, love, love. Yes, yes. Yeah, and yeah, trans rap and a non-binary rap. You know, I want to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Well. Even like in a in Love and Other Disasters by Anita Kelly. That's also like London is non-binary in that. And also Anita Kelly, I should also note, is also non-binary. They identify as them. Yeah, just speaking of genderqueer books, um, Mason Deaver. Yeah. I haven't read any books, but I, I they're all on my TBR for this next year. Yeah, yeah, Mason Deaver. I read uh, I Wish You All the Best. Isn't that getting an adaptation? A film Is adaptation? It? I had not heard of this. Let me... I, th- I saw something briefly. I Wish You All the Best adaptation... Oh, to- Tommy Dorfman to make the directorial debut yes, yes, on yes, yes. Entertainment. I wish you all the best adaptation. Oh, damn. Tommy Dorfman. Yep. Oh, damn. <gasps> wow. Yeah, looks like it's going to begin filming this. Oh, it looks like they maybe already, already already started filming. Oh, wow. Oh, and then, oh, apparently it cast Alexandra Daddario. As, as as Hannah as 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 non-binary character uh, Benjamin, her sister Hannah. Oh wow, that's cool. I love Alexandra Daddario. You know, I want I wish I could see more more of her stuff because here's the thing: the only thing I ever saw her in was Percy Jackson. And okay, so here's the thing: her I the movie season, they aren't super great. <laughs> I've seen her in Percy Jackson. I've seen her in the movie San Andreas and the movie The Chosen. No, not The Chosen. The Chosen one. A Nicholas Sparks movie. But like her as a human being, love her. Never got into much of her work. But Yeah. Oh, uh, San Andreas. Yeah. I remember, I remember there have times and I'm like, hmm, am I in a mood for a disaster movie? I'll maybe, maybe I'll pick that one out. But then I'm like, nah, I can go for another disaster movie. Okay, the thing is, I'll trash that movie all day long, but it is one of my family's go-to movies. We will watch that probably, like, once a month. <laughs> uh, it I has mean, such a great cast. I mean, yeah, you know, Dwayne Johnson, you know, I love him. I love The Rock. I love The Rock. The Rock and the Jungle is my favorite movie genre, hands down. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, okay. I, I just remember, I was just looking up her filmography, and I also realized I saw her in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot in 2013, mm, which I was, I, was not, I was not very much into, even though even as someone who had never seen a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie before that, that was my first time, ever time watching one, I was like, eh, this is boring. And although I did watch the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, last year, which I enjoyed much more, that is a good horror movie. But Alexandra Daddario was in White Lotus, so, so you know, that's good. You know, I, I, that I, one is on my watch list. I've heard people love that. A few people in my phone Discord server apparently love that show. Yeah, I never saw The Appeal, um, but one of the actresses in it, Jennifer Coolidge. I love Jennifer oh, Coolidge. Oh, yeah. That's right, Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah, she's been getting a whole bunch of phrase as of late. Like, with your, you know, and like, she's, she's been season. branching out. 
She's been in. Um, she was also in a Netflix kind of thriller miniseries. The Watcher. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Like she's been around for a long time, so I, 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 it's good to see her. I mean, I love her in Legally Blonde, so anything she's in, I'll give a watch for. Yeah, that's all my watch is still Legally Blonde. <laughs> all right, so we were talking about. I wish you all the best. I'm glad to hear about the adaptation for that. Um, yes, I need to read it before the adaptation, though. Same with Daisy Jones. That one's yes. on my list to read yes. before. That's on Prime Video. The Prime Video series, and I'm glad about that. And you know, I'm I've been trying to hype it up in my film Discord server because you know, you know, people hear about the series and like, hey, you know, you want to read the book? You want you want to go check it out before the series comes? You know, you want to. <laughs> so audiobook, I, I'll recommend the audiobook because the audiobook is really good. I, I, that's another favorite audiobook of mine. I, I mean, no, I, what, wait, what am I saying? I didn't. Listen, why did I say that? I didn't even listen to the audiobook. I just I've heard about the audiobook having like really great <laughs> songs in it. Like apparently you have to mute it, it's music included. And in interesting. I just got my Audible credit for the month, so maybe I'll give that one a get that one. I don't. I don't know why I said that. I got confused. <laughs> I do that all the time. I'm like, oh yeah, I love that book. Um, actually, I haven't read that yet. <laughs> I've heard it's good. <laughs> uh, so that's our top ten. My number one is Bloodmark, and now we're all finished. Wow! Yeah. Uh, so that's that's it. The whole bookish year unpacked into our top ten, and now we can move on to 2023. You know, a whole another year to look forward to with more books to consume. I am already, you know, trying to read more books. You know, for example, Husband Material. I read that. That was like, you know, this, uh, this year as January was starting, and then I'm trying to read other books. And uh, so, I'm, I'm looking forward to the year. You know, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm exciting. I'm keeping my eye on Alexis Hall. They always release like three books a year. Yes, yes. So I'm excited to see what they write for 2023. Definitely, and then even like. Even uh, like you know T.J. Clune, you know, with mm-hmm. the, you know, and the lives of puppets. I'm very, I'm pumped for that to get to that one, and and then yeah, even, I'm oh, wondering. Yeah, and then even uh even uh Carolyn Carol her next book her next book is the U series. I have an mm-hmm. AI for that on that daddy as well, and I'm pumped to get to that. I've I've already read like thirty pages of that, and I'm I'm into it already. You know, I love you both the books and the uh, Netflix series. <gasps> Yeah, I'm hoping Casey McQuinston's new book comes out in 2023. I'm excited for Meryl Wils- Wilsner's. I just saw the cover art for their new book, which is going to be, it's going to be a soccer, um, sapphic soccer book. Can't go wrong. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, please cute. <gasps> yes, 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 yes. Yay. All right, so that is our top, those are our top 10 books for 2022. Do you have any more comments to add? No, I'm looking forward to keep reading some 2022 books. 2022 had so many good ones. I'm excited to keep working through them as 2023 books come out. Yes, all right, all right. So, again, those are our top 10 books of 2022. And now we can segue onwards to Good Word. Now, this is a segment where each of us gets to recommend something. A book, a movie, a TV show, a podcast, music, anything we want in this segment. Now, Logan. What is your good word? My good word is for anyone who has Paramount Plus, there was a mini series called The Offer dropped um, right at the end of 2022. It's about 
<clears throat> the creation of the movie The Godfather, which is actually a lot more interesting than it sounds because there was a lot of um, pushback on the movie. It had like the Italian, the mob, the Frank Sinatra. There was just so much chaos happening for that movie to even happen. Um, or that, yeah, and um, it has a lot of strong female characters. Or I guess not really characters; they're real people, <laughs> um, like the female assistants who weren't who were much more than assistants who actually like were a lot of the reason the movie got made. And then of course there's Miles yeah. Teller playing the lead, which he does a fantastic job of. So that would be my good word of the day. I just finished it, so nice, nice. Yeah, I I remember I remember you mentioning that in our Discord server, and I heard I I, I heard some stuff about it, but I was you know I don't have Paramount Plus as much as the although. I'm, I'm so I'm, I'm kind of surprised that exists as a as a streaming service because I'm like man you're kind of, I feel like you're kind of smaller than the other services and you're still around after all this time. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's uh, not something. It's not a site I'd pay for. Um, my aunt has it, so I just get it for nice, free. Nice. I just mooch off of my aunt. Um, but if so, if you know anybody who has the streaming platform, I would recommend stealing their password and watching that series. Yeah, it's the same thing as you because in fact. All the subscriptions that, you know, quote-unquote, I have, I moved off with my mom's. It's with Netflix and uh, Disney+, Plus, Apple, Apple TV+, Plus, Hulu, and Prime Video. Mm-hmm. And Spotify as well. All of those services. <laughs> HBO Max, though, that's the one big gap. And I'm just like, can we afford HBO Max in this household? We cannot, unfortunately. We are financially tight. We can somehow afford multiple <laughs> streaming services, but HBO Max, and granted, HBO Max is like one of the more expensive services. And I'm just it like, Oof. but some somehow, you know, someday I'll hop on the HBO Max some someday, you know, and I'll start watching. You know, I've got so much stuff on there that's HBO Max exclusive, mm-hmm. like you know, Succession and White Lotus and other content, Watchmen. Another content on there. Some of the DC Universe shows, not not shows, a movie, DC Universe movie, mm-hmm. the DCEU stuff. Even though I'm not really all that, all that excited about the DCEU. Yeah, it was HBO is definitely worth it for me. My f- all time favorite TV series, West Wing, was put on HBO, and I immediately went mm-hmm. and got a subscription, and it's my most used streaming site now. <laughs> that is very nice. All right, so I see a good word, offer, and now my good word. It's going to be the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, which I had seen as of, as of this recording just yesterday. Yes, I saw you put it in the Discord server. Yep, yep. It was. It, it's been on my watch list for a while. I've been getting recommendations for it, and I finally got around to it because it's streaming on Prime Video, and I and I ended up loving it. I gave it a full five stars. You know, you can check out my review on Letterboxd. I gave it a full five stars. It is. The 2004 romantic sci-fi drama starring Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet that, you know, follows just how they both undergo this this technology that can wipe their memories and specifically they're using it to wipe away the the memories they have of their relationship that they used to have with each other because they're the the, the exes. The movie just it takes you. It, it follows specifically Joel Jim Carrey's uh, character as he is going undergoing his procedure, looking back on all of the memories of his relationship with Clementine, that's Kate Winslet's character, 
and just how like you know ups and downs to blissful times to painful times and it is like it is very poignant moving heartbreaking it is i i love the editing this is probably like one of the one of the best examples i've seen of editing that i've watched in a movie just how like smooth it is and seamless and it, and it really adds this whole surreal tone to the visuals and how it really does feel like you're going through a dream you're really you're really exploring this dream uh that's you know really, really just reflecting back on this whole messy relationship you can really feel like charlie kaufman he was one of, he was a you know screenwriter for the movie you can really feel him like adding his own kind of like you know unconventional touch to the movie and i really appreciate how this ended up dismantling the whole stereotype of the manic pixie dream girl, which I was kind of nervous about because I, you know, I, I do not care for the manic pixie dream girl stereotype, you know, and, and it's something that's still pretty popular, like even in Three Guys, the Ryan Reynolds movie, like, you know, I actually still, like, I, I, I actually, I actually find that to be a really fun and lovable movie, but Three Guy, one of my criticisms of it is how much it relies on the manic pixie dream girl trope. And which is funny because like that movie came out like just you know like, what a couple years ago, but it's like still using the stereotypes. But in this in Eternal Sunshine, it's not perfect. It's not, it isn't. It's not perfect. Actually, at the end of the day, it's still following Joel, not not Clementine, and Clementine is still a subject in Joel's world. She's not the main character, but at the same time, it's still it it still tears apart the stereotype and really breaks down like how like. Clementine is supposed to be appear like a manic pixie dream girl at first, but then it really breaks down her character and, and it's like, no, she is far from perfect. She is she got some fucked up shit going on, and she is like, you know, really messy and, you know, she's not she's not just someone that you can view as an object of attraction. You know, someone you can just fall over in a relationship, and you know, she's a, she's a, a human too. She's a fleshed out character, so I really appreciate how the movie was able to handle that. And just, you know, I love the performances as well. And, you know, and, and, and also great side cast too, like Kirsten Dunst, Mark Ruffalo, Elijah Woods, you know, Tom Wilkinson, even like David Cross is, has like a minor role in, in it. Like a, a surprisingly stacked uh, supporting cast. So it's just like great to see all that, you know. I finally got around to watching this, and I now I recommend everyone else, you know. Give it a try. As of this moment, it is streaming on Prime Video. So, you know, you can go check it out. You know, if it's still streaming by the, by the time that, you know, this podcast releases, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. All right, so now, we've given our good words. And now, Logan, I want to thank you very much for coming back to Two Cents Critic for this podcast. I want to thank you very much for that. And now you can. Yeah, of course, anytime. Yes, and you can and you can promote. You know, now it's time for you know promoting anything you want. You know, socials. You know, whatever. Yeah, we have a Discord server where we talk about queer books and movies and literally everything. So, um, join our Discord server. All right, all right. And as for my socials, you can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at two underscore sense critic. You can follow my personal accounts on Twitter. Good Pods, Zoe Graph, Letterboxd, and TikTok at author underscore and 18. You can find me on Goodreads at author Howell. If you want to email me, you can reach me at email twocentscritic at yahoo.com. You can also 
check out my blog at twocentscritic.com. And make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, GoodPods, Podcast Addict, all of those services. And especially make sure you do the ratings and reviews because they really are crucial to promoting the show and helping to grow the, grow the audience. Oh, and now, Logan, thank you once again for coming on here. Back, back to the show for the second guest spot. <laughs> Yay. And until next time, stay healthy and stay strong.